I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Matteo Dante Peruccio, who is the President International of Wave Financial Group. Our topic now is how the divide between traditional investment management and digital asset management is narrowing. What's actually happening here? Is it traditional managers moving to digital or digital moving towards traditional? Is the industry maturing? It's actually an interesting metaphor for my own journey, as I'd say, to digital assets. I've been in asset management. When I think we have to be, I'm sort of a stickler for terminology because we, you know, we use very big terms to encompass everything, and sometimes it gives a, a certain bias or misrepresentation. So, I'd say asset management industry is made up, in my mind, of two was made up historically of two pieces: traditional asset management that was equities, fixed income, and all of those other strategies, geographical and financial sector-wise, that we were familiar with. And then came onto the scene alternative asset management, which included predominantly hedge funds, but then you know evolved into things like uh, real assets and, and other things. I've been in in all of those industries for, you know, in differing ways uh, for the last 30 some odd years. So I'm pretty steeped in that world. As this new digital sort of revolution started to come about, I myself found myself in the awkward position of being highly cynical, knowing enough to be dangerous, and uh, and having very awkward conversations with people much younger than myself, not being able to defend my ground as to why I didn't believe in it. So that was sort of a cathartic moment for me. And I think the reason I recount that story is because I think that's what's happening on a broader basis across the industry of traditional asset management. There's been a, ah, this isn't going to last. This is a bunch of young people doing things that we don't understand. Hence, it cannot possibly be good for us. What I did was I got informed about it. And what I realized there were aspects like in any evolution of a financial market in the early days there are aspects of it, which will probably not endure. And there are other parts that will continue to endure. And, and I think the, the winners in this sector have been looking at what are the requirements for this asset class, let's call it digital assets in general, to survive and prosper. And interestingly for me, from my own experience, what I had needed to do first was understand the very basic concepts about, about blockchain, which I you know, have since done, and then get into understanding really all of the various aspects of the marketplace, including tokens, security tokens. And also the whole infrastructure conversation around custody, trading, derivative exchanges, and so on. And where I came out was this is a sector in rapid evolution. It's here to stay. It is going to revolutionize and disintermediate many players in the traditional financial markets. And the winners, you know, am I smart enough to pick the Facebook over the MySpace in this sector? I don't know. But for sure, it's here to stay. And I think increasingly, the main players in the in the marketplace are recognizing that. We can talk a little bit, I think, about why it's taken them a bit of time and what it looked like before that, if you want. But that's sort of my, my high-level evaluation. Well, let's dispose of one aspect of this straight away, and I think we can get through it fairly quickly. The idea of a digital asset and that has a, a proper identifier is something that is now happening. People are hard at work at this so that they can have the equivalent, for example, of an ISIN for a digital asset. That's the simple bit. And I say that in the full knowledge that it's not simple and it's quite complicated, but that's actually the easy bit. Getting people to understand 
the assets themselves, as you've just described from your own experience, is more of a battle? I think it goes back to my comment earlier on about terminology. I am often a nitpicker about using the term crypto. When I hear people say, I don't like crypto, I'm not sure what they're saying to me because crypto, you know, saying I don't like Bitcoin is something that we can have a debate about on the merits of what Bitcoin is, what its attributes are. I don't like Ethereum, the same. I don't like Polkadot or I don't like NFTs or I don't like tokens. You know, they're all very substantive conversations with pros and cons, but they're very different, very much in the same way that in my old world, People used to say, I don't like hedge funds. I I, I never understood what that meant. Do you not like macro hedge funds? Do you not like um, systematic uh, high velocity trading? Do you not like distressed debt? You know, what what kind of hedge fund do you not like? So I think we do ourselves a disservice. But I think what we have understood now is that the digitalization of assets is here to stay. It actually brings huge benefits reduces friction, reduces cost in the marketplace. So all of those attributes are potentially very positive from the retail level all the way up to the institutional. And what's interesting about this, just sorry to go on a bit, but what's interesting about this evolution is that it's the opposite of almost every other financial innovation that's happened in the financial markets over the last, let's call it, you know, 50 years. When you think about you know, the advent of derivatives or the advent of hedge funds, or they, they all started, most of them started with institutional and ultra high net worth adoption and then moved down into the retail markets. This is the first financial revolution that actually has gone the other way. The, la- the last adopters are actually the most sophisticated players in the marketplace, which is a really interesting phenomenon and requires probably a podcast all to itself. But uh, <laughs> But I'll, I'll well, leave it there. Thank you for that. Let's stick on the one topic for the time being. <laughs> you mentioned earlier uh, that people can now identify what the requirements for these assets to survive and thrive are and, and prosper. What are they? Because we didn't get into what they actually were. Yeah. Well, look, I think, you know, we, we heard all of the horror stories, right? And, and again, this is a world of myth and reality, right, mixed together. And obviously, that makes it harder when you don't have... First of all, a clear regulatory and consistent regulatory environment, right? So we have a an evolving regulatory environment. We're seeing lots of positive development, but the truth is we're still, even in Europe, in a world where each, each market is different and how they treat digital assets. And so, of course, full-scale global adoption and will, will not happen until there is at least clarity on how this asset is being treated in each market. And that's happening pretty rapidly. I, I, I'm sure you probably have heard people mention there's something happening called Mika, the markets and crypto regulation in Europe. And it's a, it's a white paper that they're working on trying to create a consistent regulatory environment around blockchain and, and, uh, and a pan-European regulatory sandbox. I mean, I think that'll do huge benefit to the industry. I think and the same in the U.S. And we've heard, of course, India is going in the opposite direction right now, but the markets are opening up. But what, going back to the, the more specific point, which you asked was what's needed. I think one of the most important aspects that was needed, which is happening at a, at a pace unseen in the past in financial services, is the institutional quality custodian and custody of digital assets. You know, the world has moved. It's unbelievable. Two years ago, one would struggle 
to have found an institutional quality custodian regulated. There were a few sort of early adopters like Fidelity Digital Assets and so on. Now you have announcements in the last six months of uh, of the biggest custodians in the world, you know, the Northern Trust, the JP Morgans, the Bank of New York's. I know Standard Charter is launching a digital asset platform and many others will follow. So, you know, that takes away a huge concern for wealth management platforms, institutions, pension funds, foundations to know at a minimum they have recourse and can hold the asset with a institutional quality custodian. The other is understanding, I mean, you've probably seen articles, goes back to the point I was making earlier about regulation. Many of the big players are trying to navigate how to handle this for their clients in each of their domiciles, right? You know, Goldman Sachs has got big business in London, got big business in Tokyo, in New York, and so on. So they they can't just say, we're going to do it only in London. They have to figure out how to navigate all the regulatory hurdles in each of their marketplaces. So that's a complication. I think that's the second pillar. And then one more, I think, pillar is, and, and, you know, we talk, again, going back to digital assets, it depends on what digital assets you're talking about, but let's, let's call Bitcoin as the bellwether for, for all of this. Volatility. As volatility, volatility presents huge opportunities for making money for many players, but it is it a negative. presents huge opportunities for losing money for others. That's right. And it makes it difficult for digital assets to be seen as a credible unit of currency to use for, for a lot of what we normally use currencies for. So I think until volatility comes down, it will Bitcoin in particular will remain as a very strong competitor to gold as a, as a store of value, but probably not as a transfer of value in day-to-day commerce. But we can't see there's been a lot of arguments around the benefits of a Bitcoin for global trade, for example, which, you know, and again, as, as volatility comes down, it'll get increasingly attractive. Matteo Dante Peruccio of Wave Financial Group, thank you very much.